Holy Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have of coming together here today. We realize, Lord, that the media has such an incredible impact on our lives. We know we are called upon to guard the avenues of the soul. So we pray that you bless us here as we reflect on how we as committed Christians can guard the avenues so that we can better be able to withstand the fiery darts of the devil in these dangerous and final days. Keep us faithful. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Minding the media, the title of my sharing here, part of what we're trying to do is to encourage, to challenge people, especially young people, as to how to make good decisions in life. It's astounding and it is sad, the decisions that are made when a person is young, how, they, how those decisions negatively, sometimes, for decades, impact people's lives. And sometimes, praise God, for positive reasons also. So there's that balance. That you have to make a choice now, and sometimes the choices are made without the necessary information, maybe due to lack of study, maybe due to un intentional ignorance. But I thought I'm going to share with you today some information and recommend some books as well. I try to do that in every session so that you can go home and read further and you can access additional information. This is just to begin you on that journey in a certain sense, is what I call, just so you can be challenged. Incidentally, I want to spend just a few minutes when I talk about minding the media. I'm not just talking about the television. I'm talking about internet, books, anything that comes really through your eyes. We've talked about music already. In uh, yesterday, one of our sessions, we dealt with music. Right now, we're talking about going what comes through the eyes more than the ears. Obviously, when you're watching television, it comes through both, right? Eyes and ears. And uh, so, but we're talking primarily what comes through the eyes. So I want to talk for a few minutes on the issue of books. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but what has happened in the area of books? And you go around, by the way, to bookstores. Amazingly, even though we are in the electronic age, there are still zillions of books coming up. I don't understand it. More and more books. And, and, and unfortunately, when you look at the kind of books that are coming off the press, uh, generally, and the kind of books that people are reading, to a large degree, the books they're reading are, what's the best word I can use? Fictional novels. And you see them, especially on airplanes, people reading all kinds of material. So people are feeding their minds. Now, I want to spend a few moments on what's called the most beloved book series ever by the world's most famous author. Do you know who I'm talking about? Who is the world's most famous author, at least according to Entertainment Weekly, with the most beloved book series ever? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. You're right. You guessed right. Harry Potter. And by the way, uh, uh, J.K. Rowling was considered the entertainer of the year last year. And so it's fascinating. I, I, I try to read material, try to see what's happening. And uh, here is what it's talking about. She is the most famous author. And of course, there's a lot that's been written about her. Amazingly, some Adventists have written material supportive of her saying, this is wonderful stuff I have here by uh, somebody who was in school, I believe when I was uh, at Andrews some years ago, saying, this is good. This is exactly what the Bible is uh, showing us. It's like, are you serious? These are Adventists. I got material here. I'm not going to tell you who they are. I'm not going to waste my time reading these statements because it is shocking what they are doing. This, uh, and unfortunately, these are young people who are well-known and who are writing. They are journalists. 
They're very good journalists. But I'm not going to spend my time on that because I suspect as we go along today in uh, the first and, and second session, I'm going to suggest that there's a radical difference between those who are casual readers of the scriptures and those who are careful students of the Bible. Do you get the difference? The casual reading will get you to this conclusion. Oh, there's the fight between good and evil in these books with Harry Potter. And, and it's just like the Bible. That's the casual reader. But you know what's fascinating? Listen to J.K. Rowling herself. So I want to quote, she's, um, this is the, uh, uh, Entertainment Weekly that talks about it. And uh, she says, I wrote the books. I did it in the way I meant it meant to do it. I couldn't have written it any better. But what is she doing? According to Entertainment Weekly, this is not a Christian magazine, all right? Entertainment Weekly says, the beauty of her vision, this is the concept of J.K. Rowling in the books, seven books that are finished now. The beauty of her vision is how she saw truth as a morally ambiguous matter. That's the beauty. There's no such a thing as absolute. It's just, well, it's ambiguous. It can be this. It can be that. That's what they think. This is what's so wonderful about her books, that truth is a morally ambiguous matter. Well, how about Time Magazine last year? Listen to Time Magazine. If you want to know, this is Time Magazine. Christian Magazine? No. If you want to know who dies in Harry Potter, the answer is easy. God. Time Magazine, July 23, 2007. This is a secular magazine. We have Adventist young people who are writers saying this is a good, these are good books. Time Magazine says, if you want to know who dies in the Harry Potter books, the answer is easy. God. Listen to the next paragraph. Now they're going to explain themselves. Harry Potter lives in a world free of any religion or spirituality of any kind. He lives surrounded by ghosts but has no one to pray to, even if he were so inclined, which he isn't. Time magazine. I said, interesting. We have Adventist young people who are writers, journalists, who are saying good stuff, and Time magazine says, garbage. <laughs> you want to see who dies? It's God. It's the death of religion in these books. Now, by the way, I got more material. I want to spend too much time on it, but the, thank God that the Adventist Review, have, they've come up with some good articles on this topic. I'm happy for that. Yesterday, I, I sounded a caution about some of the twisting of the history of the Adventist Church that is being published in the Adventist Review. But here is some good stuff, something on Potter ethics. Part of what I'm doing here, I teach ethics. And they talk about this. They say, countless articles have been written about this whole issue. And, they, and some are saying, oh, um, this is good stuff. Different Christians are, are promoting it. However, this guy who's done careful study says, Harry Potter is far from perfect. The morals and ethics in Rowling's fantasy tales are at best unclear and at worst patently unbiblical. Okay. It is true there are though, fleeting moments throughout her stories where the good characters actually behave in a way consistent with being good. But on many other occasions, these same characters act in quite contrary to the biblical definition of goodness. And then he gives examples of, of it. And he goes through and he outlines the many problems. And he ends here. So far, he talks about Harry and all of his disobedient things. So far, up to page, in the first book only, up to page 220 or so, Harry has been disobedient seven times without suffering any consequences. In fact, he's even promoted when he's disobedient. 
and he talked about the danger for kids, etc. Um, and then this is just book one. They say the threefold moral message that Rowling presents through her characters is clear. Here's what she's trying to teach people, especially kids. Number one, rules are made to be broken if they do not serve one's own interests. Lesson number one comes to consistently in the books. Number two, rules need to be obeyed, need, sorry, rules need not be obeyed if no good reason seems to exist for them. If you say, ah, I don't see any good reason, you can break them. Number three, lying, deception, is an effective and acceptable means of achieving a desired end. Okay, and in fact, uh, this guy who wrote the critique says, an 11-year-old girl told me, I like Harry because he can do whatever he wants to do. Ah, Harry, unfortunately, is, Harry Potter is ultimately simply following his self-interest. This is consistent with modern Wicca. You've heard of Wicca, uh, the modern wizards and witchcraft. What do they believe? If it harm no one, do what you will. The creed would apply to such things as unbiblical sexual encounters, the use of illegal drugs, deception. Whether Rowling realizes it or not, she is promoting witchcraft in the form of ethical and moral relativism. Now, I can do some more on that, but I, I want to go really to the issue of television and so forth more. But I just thought to let you know, and that was the first book. You can go on to other books. There are so many issues and problems here. In a nutshell, clearly, Rowling's books include a great deal of material that is inappropriate for children as well as inconsistent with Christian values. Okay, and, and so just, just to alert you to that, and as you well know, many, uh, there are many movies out now that have come out based on those things. What are we talking about? Guarding the avenues. Why is it important? I'll get to that, but hold on. Uh, incidentally, if you, if you watch television nowadays, you will notice, as this article puts it, the occult on prime time. A couple of years ago, they had on Yahoo News, I don't get a newspaper, but I, I, I check Yahoo News, and they had there the top 16 television programs for the year. And then they had a little blurb as to the summary of each one of these programs. I have not watched any of the programs that, at all. But then they, blur, they, they explained what the programs are about. Guess what? Of the 16 programs, 8 of them, 50% were all promoting communication with the dead. Spiritism. Half of them, and these were the top 16 programs on television. Half of them Believing that, and of course that's one of the things in the Harry Potter books, by the way, I've never bought Harry Potter books, but I've gone to the library to check them out because I don't think we should waste God's money, stewardship, on those books. So I went to the library because somebody will say, hey, how can you talk without knowing? Well, I, bo I borrowed a couple of books, okay, before talking about the issue. And I didn't spend God's time reading it through. I just kind of, you know, quickly went through to see things. And sure enough, towards the end of one of the books, Dumbledore says, death is but the next great adventure. Mm. Who said when you die, there you, you don't uh, die? Satan. Right there, I thought, you're kidding. In the book, you don't have to spend hours wasting time going through it. Just glance through it and you can see these books are 
uh, dangerous to our soul salvation. So I want to talk just briefly about books, but most people nowadays, oh, I'm too busy, I don't read. So let's go to the next one. The thing that we find almost everywhere, walk into an airport where you have to wait now for an hour because you have to check in so early, and what do you see? Television. Everywhere there is TV, the internet, and now with cell phones and the new generations that are coming out, incredible. I almost bought a, a, a cell phone the other day in which you can do, get all kinds of things with a big screen. It's like, you're kidding. And you can carry this stuff with you wherever you are. But you know what? We are not talking about what does that mean and what does it do to your brain. An interesting study was done, by the way, it was published in a journal called Neuron, scientific journal, Neuron, uh, in the year 2003, it came out. What they did is a, it, it, just a simple experiment. They took people and they watched their reactions and they monitored it. They had people watching three different kinds of movies. One was uh, one where they watched people on the screen, people who were smelling something pleasant. The second one, they were smelling something disgusting. The third one, the people on the screen were smelling something neutral. Then they monitored the physiological reactions of the people watching the, those on the screen. And they found something fascinating. The researchers found that a part of the brain called the anterior insula, which previously had been linked to feelings of disgust, was activated. Physiological reaction was activated not only when the participants smelled it themselves, okay, but as they watched people, they themselves reacted the same way as though they were smelling it. And the conclusion of Neuron, title, the brain is hardwired for empathy. If you're watching somebody do something, even if you're not doing it, it physiologically activates your own system. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. You can understand a little bit of the words of Jesus. This scientific study, I believe, has corroborated the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. We're talking about the guarding of the avenues. Now, remember, I didn't say put blindfolders on, <laughs> okay? We're not going to go the extremists and say, oh, I wish I was blind that I couldn't see, because the devil will still be able to get through to you. Remember that. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. If the brain is hardwired, if what we see is basically the same as what we do. We react by watching someone. According to the scientists, when you see something, you have almost identical reaction to whether you're doing it yourself. Matthew chapter 5, now you understand in verse 28 why Jesus says that. I say to you that whoever looks at the woman to lust for her has already committed adultery where? In his heart. In other words, to watch a television program, the so-called TV soap operas, and to watch those things, guess what's happening in your heart? According to Jesus, he says what? You're committing adultery in your heart. So that's why it is so important to consider what does it mean, how does this impact us? Let's go to a positive statement. We go to the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And I want to start with this as a foundational positive principle. Now, um, Philippians 2, verse 5 is a very well-known passage about chapter 2. talks about how Jesus uh, here is actually our example. We need to follow that example of Christ. But it says here in verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The New Living Translation, I believe that's the one that says, In your lives you must think 
and act like Christ Jesus. Why? Thinking, what does Solomon say? As a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. That's right. So let this mind in you is simply saying, make sure you're feeding your mind with the right things because when you feed your mind, you will act in accordance with that. Incidentally, how many of you have heard of a thing called um, the um, Sun Screening Seventh-day Adventist Film Festival? Are we afraid to raise your hand? One, two, three, four, five, six, about 15 of you. There's a th right here in Simi Valley in California this April. 2008, there was the Sunscreen Festival where they tried to get Seventh-day Adventist filmmakers together, from what I can understand, and they interviewed one of the main people there. He's actually a professor at none other than Southern Adventist University. Listen to what he says, why film is so vital. The question posed to him by the uh, um, interviewer, Nathan Nazaria, he was the interviewer, and he asked David George this question. Why is film so powerful? Listen to the David George's answer. I think film is so powerful because um, really it is something that goes right past people's filters. Did you hear what he just said? Filters. You have no way to, to filter out the good from the bad. It goes whoop, right past. This is what David George at Southern says, from Southern. It goes right past the filters. A lot, uh, a lot of times you don't really have to work to watch a film. It's not like reading or things like that. Film really can just uh, connect on so many levels. Visuals have such a power. Music, acting, performance. It's very engaging way to communicate. Wow. He tells you, film is so powerful because it goes whoop into your mind without you being able to fil filter it out. That's what he just said this year. As an Adventist Christian, he's saying film is powerful. But the question is, what does that mean for us? Now, I know there are some people, parents who are here, but they say, but, but, but I've got a V-chip on my television. Anybody know what a V-chip is? Okay, parents, V-chip. Okay, I've got a V-chip on and I can, I'm able to block out certain things on my television and we don't rent uh, movies unless they are rated good. Ah, oh, bad news, folks. Bad news. Ah, you want the bad news? Oh, okay, you're here for that, I know, and the good news. We'll come to the good news in a minute. They just did a study and they found out that the television ratings, the headline, TV ratings, a sham. Those ratings don't work, and so the V-chip can't eliminate them. Why? Guess who rates them? The guys who make the programs who want to get the, and who want the commercials on them. The problem the study pointed out is that the ratings are done by the networks themselves. Networks are financially motivated to underrate their programs because a more restrictive rating could scare off advertisers. So they lie about what the rating is. And so parents have the V-chip to control the bad stuff, and the bad stuff will come in anyway because the networks lie about what the rating really is. <laughs> it's not true. Don't believe it. So again, who can you trust in this world? And it's what's interesting, you know, talking about this, the rating, I, I found this one, Oscar-nominated actors are bad, and that's good. Okay? They are a bloody dictator, a diamond smuggler, a crack-smoking school teacher, a lecherous old man, a self-centered dad. But when it comes to winning an Oscar for best acting, the more human flaws, the better. Very interesting. That's what the world is looking for. 
Uh, and I, I noticed how people grade the same movie. Yeah, have you ever looked at the grading of movies? Go online. One guy graded everything F. Story, acting, direction, visuals, all F. Final grade, F. The same movie graded by somebody else, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, final grade, A+. Plus. Two people watching the same movie, one gives it a total F grade, the other one gives it a total A+, plus, the highest you can get and the lowest you can get. Why? Human opinion. No standard from which to actually operate. And incidentally, those of you who are <coughs> uh, dating or are contemplating dating, there's a study that came out this week, December 16. Brand new study, 2008. Romantic comedies spoil your love life. <laughs> That's what they come up with. The latest study, those romantic comedies, they even name some of them, such as The Wedding Planner, While You Were Sleeping, You've Got Mail, and they have concluded films wrongly suggest that trust and committed love exist from the moment people meet, whereas these are qualities that normally take years to develop. And they say from the study, it is dangerous to watch romantic comedies. <laughs> That's the latest information. And these are not the, the what's it called, R-rated stuff. These are the so-called mild stuff. They say it's dangerous for your spiritual health. I find it fascinating as I'm reading, as I'm digging, this is the secular press that is recognizing the problems. Okay, and where are we as Christians? What are we to do? I want to challenge you with some stuff, by the way. Here's a couple of books I'd like to recommend. I'm going to give you some information from them, and then you'll know whether you want to even write down the title, okay, and whether you want it. Uh, uh, this book came out, by the way, several years ago. Fascinating book. I have read it, and in the book there's material that reminded me of what I learned when I was a student at Andrews University Seminary. Andrews University Seminary. I've got to tell you, I was a student in the class of Dr. Eldon Chalmers, several years ago, and I remember very vividly he was uh, teaching us psychology, pastoral psychology, and I never forgot the day when Dr. Chalmers got up front and said, you know what folks, I studied under a well-known professor named Dr. Wilder Penfield. Now, Dr. Penfield was at the famous um, institute in Canada. I'll give you the actual title of the institute. He was at the, it was called the Montreal Neurological Institute, now renamed the, um, um, let's see, he, later he was professor of neurophysiolo neurophysiology at McGill University. So these are well-known institutes. McGill is well-respected. I've been told it's like the Harvard of Canada, okay? I see, are you Canadian? Oh, you're aware of that? Okay, so this is a very well-known institute. And by the way, Dr. Keish, who was supposed to speak yesterday, he got his PhD from McGill. Well-known, well-recognized. This man was there. So I'm going to back up. So Dr. Eldon Chalmers is teaching us, and he says, I was a student of Dr. Penfield. Back then, when uh, the, the um, protocols were not as strict, Dr. Penfield decided to try to find what the problem was for epileptics. So they actually brought in epileptics who were having seizures and so forth, and then they began to open the skull of the people, and they t he took, Dr. Penfield took an electric probe. Now, not a heavy shock, it'll kill him, okay? But just enough to touch different parts of the brain. And as he touched different parts of the brain, suddenly the woman said, hey, uh, is somebody playing a violin here? No. And, and, and then he would move the probe and, the, and it would stop. They, oh, oh, they've stopped. And he went around and he went right back to that identical spot and she said, oh, the, the music starts up again. And Dr. Penfield was astounded to find out that 
And the conclusion was that everything that people have watched or listened to is permanently encoded in the brain. Now I'm sitting in psychology class at the seminary, I'm saying, this is incredible, this is scary stuff. By the way, I picked up this book, sold at the Review and Herald Publishing Association called Remote Controlled, and I was so pleased to find that the very thing Dr. Chalmers told us is corroborated by Dr. Roland Hegstead, who went to interview Dr. Penfield himself. And so Dr. Hegstead here, in this book, records what Dr. Penfield uh, describes and he discovered from his studies. Here it is. When he stimulated the point on the surface of her cortex, she heard an orchestra playing, not just a violin, sorry, an orchestra. In surprise, she asked whether the music was being piped into the operating room. Penfield turned off the electronic probe and the music stopped. When Dr. Penfield turned, uh, he turned it back on, actually he turned the current off and he turned it back on, um, and he, you know, the woman listened, it was there, at its original tempo, from verse to chorus. She even re-experienced the thrill of the emotion she had while sitting in that theater years before. Notice what he says now. Oh, by the way, the whole performance had been indelibly inscribed on microscopic cells of her mind. Now listen as Hegstead has summarized it. The significant fact we should note here is that the events of which we have no conscious recall are nevertheless imprinted, printed as if on a cinema film within our mind. Every television program, every radio drama, every billboard message, every advertisement, every book and magazine read, every person scrutinized, every suspicion harbored, every word spoken, it's all there. And those unconscious memories, the sum total of all that we have put into our mind, make up the kind of person we are today and will be tomorrow. Powerful, scary stuff. Another well-known psychologist by the name of William James in The Principles of Psychology, also quoted in this book called Remote Controlled, William James said this, Could the young but realize how soon they will become mere walking bundles of habits? They would give more heed to their conduct while in the plastic states, where it's easy to mold and to shape. And then he has this incredible statement here. Okay, nothing, notice the words, just about 10 words here, nothing we ever do is in strict scientifical literalness wiped out. Did you hear what I just said? Nothing we ever do or take into our minds is ever what? Wiped out. It's always there. It's just the only problem is this, we don't remember where we filed it. We can't recall. It doesn't mean it's not there. It's there. And as I'm going through this book, this book is just, and it's got all the documentation, all the information here, how TV, how movies, how videos impact our lives. Now, that's just talking about the physiological and the, the memory aspect. And then he goes through the book, and that's why I want to share with you, recommend. He talks about something very important. Squandering God's greatest gift. What do you think is God's greatest gift? Time. You hit it on the, on the nail. Open your Bibles to Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians quickly. We want to share. This book, by the way, is one that I highly recommend. There's a lot of good material in it. I want to summarize it here. For those of you who might not get access to the book, I'm not sure if it's even in print anymore. It's remote controlled by Joe Wheeler, W-H-E-E-L-E-R, published in uh, several years ago. I'm going to update you with a book that just came out. This was 1993 by the uh, Review and Herald. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse six, uh, 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 
verse 15 and 16. Ephesians chapter 5. See then that you walk, how? Circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. What does that mean? It carries on. There's a comma. Isn't there a comma in your Bibles? Okay. The sentence is not done. As wise, what? Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. That's way back then Paul already said that by inspiration. We are called upon how much more now to redeem the time. Take time very, very seriously. We, each one of us, has to give account of, to God of how we have spent His time, the gift He has put within our um, stewardship. Ellen White in the book uh, Christ Object Lessons has two statements on page 342. Christ Object Lessons, abbreviated COL, page 342, corroborates the whole idea that time is a gift of God. She says this, Our time belongs to God. Every moment is His. And we are under the most solemn obligation to improve it for His glory. Of no talent, did you hear what she says? Of no talent He has given will He require a more strict account than of our time. The value of time is beyond computation. Page 342. Christ regarded every moment as precious, and it is thus that we should regard it. Life is too short to be trifled with. Okay, folks, I'm not going to ask you to pull your feet in as I've done in other sessions. I've said, pull your toes in. I'm going to step on your toes. No, I'm not going to ask that today. You know why? Because I stand here, I raise my hand, I stand guilty as charged. Anybody here want to say you have too wasted time? Anybody else? That's a universal problem. We all struggle with that and we all fail too many times. So what am I doing today? I'm trying to encourage you, to challenge you, to call you back. Let's get serious. Are we living, do you believe we are living in incredible times in the last days of earth's history? Do you believe that? I don't know. You don't know when Jesus will come. How much more serious should we be about redeeming the time? That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the principles here. Now, by the way, somebody can say, oh, but you know, my my cousin, he doesn't watch television, but he's out there playing golf every day, two hours every evening. He neglects his family. We're not talking about what somebody's doing. We're talking about the issue of time. Now, the overall topic is minding the media because of the impact of the media on the mind. But yes, you can waste time anyway, (laughs) right? Our focus, though, is the issue of the media here, whether it be books, television, video, internet, whatever it be. We're we're concerned about the impact of that on the mind. One of the problems with it is the wasting of time. Now, you know what I did? I I, I wish I could, I'm trying to get back to that. Yes, I'm calling myself and my wife to let's get back. And so we're moving to Michigan now, and I said to her, you know what, when we get there, we're not going to have Cable. By the way, we got cable August 16, I believe it was this year. Guess why? Anybody know? No, August 8, I believe it was. Does anybody know we got, why we got cable August 8 this year? Olympics. Olympics, yes, right. Okay. So we did. And they had a three-month special at about $19.95 per month for three months. And I said, oh, let's get it. My wife loves diving and swimming. I enjoy other uh, Olympic events, primarily near of running, race walking. 
and seeing what people are able to do with the bodies. Unfortunately, you rarely have the credit given to God for the, for the way the, that He's blessed them with these wonderful activities that they can perform, but it's incredible. So we watched three months, and then I talked with her. We're three months from August, and we moved to Michigan, and I said, honey, when we get to Michigan, guess what? And she's agreeable. We're not going to have um, cable. In fact, we've already turned it off. At my home, we don't have cable. And the next thing we're just, um, I've decided also, I'm not even going to have what's called rabbit ears. I st even with rabbit ears, I, st I still get a few fuzzy pictures of the news and so forth, but still, I can't waste time anymore. If I want to get something, there are other ways to get the news that don't take so much time. There are other ways. Okay. So that's what I have decided. Life is too short. When I came to the United States in 1976 originally, I first came here, I had decided by that I wasn't going to watch television. And for the first, what was it, 10 years of my television acquaintance, by the way, in South Africa, we never had TV until 1974, believe it or not. Because one of the main leaders, political leaders said, over my dead body, TV will not come in. And after he died, they got television in and they named the TV tower after him. <laughs> Literally over my dead body, okay, <laughs> in that sense. But anyway, so it only came in 74. I was still there and I decided I'm not going to be watching this medium. And for about 10 years, from 74 till 84, the total amount of time I spent watching anything on television, including the news, was three hours in 10 years. And the way God blessed me, ah, if I go back and I say, those 10 years were incredible years. I had the opportunity to write literally hundreds of songs, scripture songs. I was very creative. I was, able, I was in school, I worked on a master's degrees, I was a missionary. But as, you know what happens, the devil's clever. Oh, just watch the inauguration. And then something else, and then something else, and then something else. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, and so I decided, no, time to get back. That's why I said, I'm not stepping on your toes. I'm stepping on my own toes. We decided we've got to get back. Stop wasting time. Let's talk on a few other quick problems. The substance abuse. Are you aware that television promotes substance abuse? As early as 1976, the director of the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse, this is not an Adventist guy, director of alcohol abuse declared that television was directly responsible for the doubling of young drinkers in the previous 20 years. TV is directly responsible for doubling drinking over 20 years. How about sexuality and the occult? Teenagers see an estimated 14,000 sexual references and innuendos per year on television. And only 150, 150 of 14,000, I think that's like 1%, of those deal with sexual responsibility, abstinence, or contraception. So therefore, the many implicit and explicit messages on television promote alcohol abuse and, of course, sexual promiscuity. Very sad. Let's go to another issue, and I'm just quickly going through um, another issue he points at, the battle between good and evil. And he says there is no contest. Actually, at Andrews University, one of the professors there of communication had his students do a study of television, asked him to go and watch so many programs for so many hours and observe where and how religion played a part. And you know what they found out? It's not so much that there was religion or attacks. Yes, religion is being attacked, but there's virtually no religion, no really communication with God on, on the popular network. Now, yes, there are individual stations 
uh, 3ABN and some Christian television stations out there that have uh, that is flowering now. There's one right here that has started recently. Um, yes, but generally, generally television is anti-God and anti-Christianity. This book brings it out very powerfully, very clearly. How about the long bloody trail, violence in America? It is incredible, the evidence of what uh, the impact of television has been on people. Um, 10,000 uh, children, they, they've, they've said, they've concluded, uh, they've done a study here representing 50 states involving 10,000 children and adolescents from every conceivable background. Conclusively, they have shown that viewing violence produced aggressive behavior in the young. There's a different cause and effect. You watch it, what you watch, you become. Remember the passage? Where is it found? By beholding, we become what? Changed. Where is that passage found in Scripture? Let's go there. Because this is what they're talking about. 2 Corinthians, right? Chapter 3, verse 18, I believe. It's one text I actually didn't write down. But let's go there. We've got to look at that passage here. Uh, the, the, the principle comes from here. We all, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let's read the whole verse. But we all, with unveiled faces, face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. By beholding, we are transformed. And you know what? There's a poet who put it this way. Uh, his name was Alexander Pope. Vice is a monster of so frightful mien, old English for face, as to be hated needs to be seen. But seen too oft, familiar with its face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. Okay, you watch violence. By the way, my own sister, my only sister, is now deceased. I remember vividly there was a song that came out years ago by a singer named Tom Jones, who I just heard on the radio, is now being recycled in his 60s. And he sang a song called Proud Mary, and my sister hated the song. But in time, she loved the song. I thought, that's interesting. I remember as a kid thinking, that is weird. You know, I was, I was young. My sister who hates the song now loves the song. That's the whole thing. If you keep listening to something you hate, guess what happens? You learn to love it. Okay? I know some guys tell the girls that. I know you hate me now, but, but um, <laughs> you'll change. Okay? <laughs> Just hang around me long enough. Um, listen to this. According to Dr. Centerwall of the University of Washington, television is directly responsible for 10,000 homicides, murders. <laughs> this is what he concludes. This is not Adventist, by the way. I'm quoting people out there, the world who recognizes. Television is directly responsible for 10,000 murders. And by the way, this is way back a, a, a decade, 15 years ago. 70,000 rapes and 700,000 injurious assaults every year, roughly about half of all serious crimes. These are social scientists who don't claim to be Christians who have studied the impact, the effect. Then, of course, somebody says, oh, but I don't watch it. I just watch sports. 
Oh, there's a chapter on that. Oh, yes. This guy's covered so much, and he's covered it fairly, and he brings in the, the scientists who've studied this. He's not just pontificating and trying to get on people's cases. He said, look at, the, look at what's happening, and uh, the whole issue of competition, an entire chapter, the evils of sports, etc. Here, too, there's an area that we parents need to address. How are, we, how are we to raise our children so that they can be both fair and good sports? This is what he says. Joe Wheeler says, I submit that the inescapable answer will mandate either total elimination of television or severe curtailment of media sports. And by the way, he's not a theologian. Joe Wheeler is not a theologian. He, I believe, is an English teacher or a journalism teacher. He's just collected the evidence and he provides it here. He's not as a pastor preaching. He's simply saying, let's be open-minded. Isn't that what people always say? The liberals, so-called? Let's be open-minded. So here, let's be open-minded. Let's look at the evidence and let's get serious about what science, social science is saying. We're going to get to the Bible. Hold on a little deeper in a few minutes. What have the results been? And he goes into the results, all the problems they have because of that. And then, thankfully, section two, what we can do about it. Now, you don't understand why I'm recommending the book. It's an excellent book that gives you very practical ways and what to do. Uh, and, and, not, and he has your things family can do together with the time that pulling the plug provides. If you pull the plug, as they say, stop the television. He has 30 suggestions as to what to do. Now, I'm going to hurry along here. Uh, I, I can't go through the 30 suggestions, but in case you don't get a chance to get the book, and for those who are going to be listening on Audioverse and other places, let me just mention quickly. He says, number one, read together. Okay. Very obvious. It's a lost art almost, and it's fascinating if you read. And by the way, for kids, they love adults to read to them. Read together. Number two, have dinner discussion time. In other words, turn off the television when you're eating so you can talk together. Number three, listen to great music together. Number four, visit art galleries together. Number five, encourage each member of the family to acquire hobbies. And I found out that that's wonderful when you aren't wasting your time. I have hobbies. By the way, one of my favorite hobbies is, guess what? Collecting Bibles. Yes. I have about 50 English translations. And so what I try to do every year, by God's grace, I, I read a different translation of the Bible, and the Bible comes afresh. By the way, my study Bible is the New King James Version, study Bible. But I try to read different Bibles, and then if I see something, I say, is that in the Bible? I go back to the study Bible, and I say, oh, I never noticed it there. But it was said in such a fresh way that I hadn't noticed it before in my study Bible. So that's a hobby. And guess what? I collect foreign Bibles. Whenever I travel to a new country, I was in the Philippines, I was in Malaysia, guess what I buy? I buy a, I buy a Tagalog Bible. I buy a Malaysian Bible. I have a Chinese, a Korean. I have Bibles from all over the places I've traveled. Yes, it, it's fascinating to get Bibles. You can have a hobby. And then somebody says, by the way, uh, I, have a, I have a Turkish friend. She doesn't read English very well. Uh, oh, I've got a Turkish Bible. Yes, I've been to Turkey and I can lend them my Bible. And it's fascinating. There are hobbies to have that are really interesting and you can come up with all kinds instead of wasting your time. Let's go to number six. Study nature. Make the study of nature and God's wonderful world part of your activities. Incorporate, in, number seven, incorporate into family life service to those less fortunate. Less fortunate. Go and do things for others. It will be a blessing to them. M number eight, make holidays special. Number nine, incorporate the extended family into the flow of family life. Number ten, if you're an American, please listen up. 
This is a chronic problem. Learn languages. <laughs> okay. There's a, there's a saying that Americans always expect everybody else to be able to speak English, but Americans don't learn other languages. Now, I know there's been a shift. More and more people are learning languages, and I'm glad for that. But learn languages so that you can communicate with others better. There are things that you can do. And by the way, they've discovered now the learning of a language helps to put off Alzheimer's. It keeps the mind active. Keep the mind active. And by the way, here's something I want to recommend, especially for your parents. Don't take away television or something else that is impacting your children unless you can replace it with something better. There's a very interesting story Jesus tells of a man who had uh, the demon out of his life and he didn't replace it with something better. And what happened? Seven demons worse than that came and filled the man's life. So never remove something unless you can replace it with something better. If you have Ellen White the Index, go there and you can see she talks about that. Something better. And I give you an illustration of a friend of mine in South Africa. He was a pastor. And he said, I'm not going to have television. And when TV came out in 1974, he said, no TV in my home. But what did he do? He made sure his kids were actively involved in living life instead of watching it vicariously flow through their minds. But he says he was standing at the window one day when his boys, they were maybe 8 or 10 years of age, they were standing outside and the rest of the kids who all had television sets, they were all talking about the latest programs, you know, Sesame Street and all those things that had come to South Africa. And the kids were all talking and his two boys were left out of the conversation. But like kids do, one boy immediately switched the conversation and he said, Do you see that mountain over there? The famous Table Mountain. And the, the kids said, Yes. And the one boy said to, to, the, to them, Have you climbed that mountain? And all the kids said, No, other than his brother. <laughs> and then he said, Well, guess what? My dad and we, we all climbed the mountain. Shoop! End of conversation. No more discussion of television. Wow. <laughs> Why? What is the pastor doing? He was replacing television with something better. His kids were living life, and he could talk about what they were doing, not corrupting their minds with what others were doing. Fascinating. Make sure you always replace it with something better. A new book has come out. Here's one I want to recommend also. Screen Deep. Screen Deep is by Scott Moncrief, uh, Mon, M-O-N-C-R-I-E-F-F. -F. Scott is a personal acquaintance of mine. His wife is a marathon runner. <laughs> That's how we became acquainted. And when I saw the book, I bought the book, I read it through, and I saw Scott. I said, thank you so much, Scott, for that book. Powerful. Very good. I was blessed by it. Scott doesn't just talk about the scientific evidence as uh, this book by Joe Wheeler. Joe Wheeler does a lot in the area of all the social scientific evidence. Once you read this book, you, you can... You can have changes in your life even without digging deep into the, into the word. <laughs> this is just so socially scientific, so powerful. But what does Scott do? Scott goes into the Bible. He starts digging. For example, let me give you a Bible verse that I find the principle fascinating. Psalm 101, verse 3. We've got one more verse I want to get to. Very important verse. I'm sure many of you know what I'm going to talk about later on as we end off. Next 10 minutes here. But let's look at Psalm 101, verse 3. Now somebody will say, oh, David was not talking about television. Yes, he was not. I agree with you. David was not, uh, the psalmist was not talking about the internet, movies, videos. Yes, you're right. But the principle applies. Psalm 101, verse 3. Notice what he says. Just the first part. 
and in fact you can even go further but he says I will set nothing wicked before my eyes I'm not going to even watch something that's bad. Now, obviously, David is already saying, I don't do bad. <laughs> you read the Bible, Psalm chapter 1, okay? Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay, this is the person who doesn't act badly. But then David says, I'm not even going to watch wicked things. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the way of those who fall away, the sinners. It shall not cling to me. David won't even, even watch what is bad. Remember, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. And so here's the book by Scott Moncrief called Screen Deep. He's an English professor at Andrews University and, uh, as I said, an acquaintance of mine. And uh, he has done some serious work on this whole issue. Let me just uh, share with you a couple of statements right here. The Christian community, by the way, he, he has some good titles. He has, uh, uh, one of his chapters is called Thou Shalt Have No American idols before me. <coughs> and he's got the word American in, in parentheses, okay. <laughs> Thou shalt have no American idols before me. Uh, one of the popular television shows right here in the United States. Then he says this, the Christian community is built around an ethic of service and the idea that everyone has something different and important to contribute. The stardom and fandom a stardom, sorry, and stardom and fandom, like American Idol, are headed in a different direction of what the principles of Christian service are. So he talks about that, he does an analysis of it, he has Bible passages for further consideration, and he does this throughout his book. I'm just giving you a couple of examples here. He looks at what I'll admit, like I said, today I'm stepping on my own toes, and that's why I can't walk around much, I might trip. But I'm stepping on my own toe. I'll tell you, one of my favorite shows has been a show called Survivor. And only because I love the physical challenges, as I said, I am a, I'm a marathon runner. Actually, actually, at the end of this month, uh, December 31, I'll be in Arizona participating in a 24-hour race. Non-stop, 24 hours, and the goal is to run a minimum of 100 miles. My goal is 100 and something, but anyway. So, yeah, I, I love endurance activities and serious challenges. So the thing I like about Survivor is surviving. I, 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 fully against the lying and all those things, but how to overcome obstacles, how to light fires, how to survive in the wilderness, that's my interest. My, I love that type of thing. Just as I said, the rest of it is pretty bad. But this is what he says. This is what he says about Survivor. Anal analyzing it from a Christian perspective. Rather than casting people out of the community, which is done in Survivor, Christians are supposed to be drawing them in, looking for the outcasts and inviting them to the banquet Jesus made ready for them. The whole philosophy of, of Survivor is survival of the fittest. Actually, it's an evolutionary concept. Uh -oh. That's what it is, the bottom line of it. And unfortunately, a friend of mine who was an activities leader at Andrews University, a former theology major of mine, when he was the activities leader at Andrews, he had Survivor on campus. And so when I arrived on campus, I called him and some other students who were students of mine at Southern, and I said, hey guys, we need to, if we want to do that, if we want to mimic the world, let's make sure it's a biblical way. 
We need to turn it on its head. And we need to start with one people out, one person out there who cannot overcome an obstacle. And the only way you can do it is if he asks for help and he forms a community. And we turn it around to show that you're on your own, you can't get through these obstacles. You need others. You, and turn the whole survivor on its head to show what genuine Christian activity is all about. It's a community. You pray together. You work together. And as the community forms and works together, all of you will overcome the impossible obstacles that you can only do as a community by God's help. It's the opposite. And, and I was talking with this guy, and he said, wow. And his, his friends say, you're right. That's what we need to do, instead of mimicking the world and making vegetarian versions of worldly activity. <laughs> Be careful of television and what they're doing. They feed us. As I said, that's one of my favorite shows. But as I've reflected on it over time, and a few years ago, I recommended this to a student at Andrews to change the whole thinking. By the way, he doesn't only an analyze television. He analyzes movies. And he actually has this statement that he has here about the well-known and well-liked Titanic. He says, the serious historical nature of the subject matter of the sinking of the Titanic and the tragedy suffered by so many people with that event makes it almost in an insult to the actuality of the real event to have such a hokey story. He calls the Titanic movie a hokey story inserted into it. It's the juxtaposition of a fantastical bit of hogwash written uh, within a real tragedy that I find disgusting. The story of Titanic, the way it's portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio, is disgusting, and he's right. You read about it, that is making the whole story of the Titanic just absolutely disgusting, what they've done to it. The real story uh, is a complete different other tragedy. In a nutshell, Scott Moncrief's book, I believe, is worth reading, worth buying. Uh, as I've said before in my seminars, there's only... The only thing I recommend 100% is the Bible, inspired by God, and the writings of Ellen White. Every other book I recommend, I recommend with reservations because these were written by human beings, okay? So again, good books, good material, but read them carefully and check them against the Word of God, check them against other things. So all the books I recommend, and I'm recommending Scott Moncrief's book because it has so many powerful things here that can help you on your Christian walk. How to live as better Christians. We've got two minutes before we end today. I want to share with you a story and a Bible verse as we end. You've heard the story probably. His name, it happened five years ago. His name was Aaron Ralston. Aaron Ralston. Let me see the hands. Anybody remember hearing about a man by the name of Aaron Ralston? Didn't think a hand would go up. He wrote a book. He wrote a book called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Anybody now begin to think you might know who I'm talking about? I see people starting to recognize it. Yes, I got his picture here. I have his book. My wife, I told you I love adventure. My wife went and bought the book for me. Probably to tell me, watch out, honey. Because you see, Aaron Ralston, as a 27-year-old or so, he went what they call canyoneering in Blue John Canyon in Utah. Number one, he never told anybody where he was going. At all. Not even his friends and family. He went canyoneering alone. What is canyoneering? You take your mountain bike and you go through the canyons and uh, you leave your bike where you can and then you swim and you climb through the canyons. Alone he was doing that, solo. Well, you see, Aaron Ralston had climbed up to that point in time of the um, 14,000 footers, the major peaks in the United States. He had soloed. He had climbed them alone. Um, several of them, I think about 10 or so, he had done alone in winter. 
He was a, a solo guy who liked to do things alone. Well, that one day he was climbing here in Blue John Canyon, and he was coming, coming over a huge rock, just trying to slither over the rock to get down to the canyon floor. And by the way, the canyon walls are so high. If you see the pictures, there was actually a, a, a documentary done with Tom Brokaw, who went back to the place where it happened with Aaron Ralston. I have the documentary. But this huge canyon walls, and somebody says, why didn't he have his cell phone? Cell phones don't work there. Okay? Can't work. Just no way to get out. So he slid over this rock, and as he slid over, the, over this huge boulder, it wedged itself loose. And as he was going down, this boulder was coming above him, 800 pounds estimated. So he fought desperately, and he pushed his arm there, and the boulder came in. It's uh, grabbed his right arm and it pinned him to the wall. Now Aaron Ralston had been an engineering major. He had harnesses and rigging with him so he took the harnesses and with his one arm he was able to rig up a contraption hoping to by you know with proper, lever proper leverage get that boulder off his arm. Day one went by, he couldn't do anything. Day two went by, he tried to begin chipping away at the rock. He had a blunt knife, that he, that's all he had in his pack. He didn't have much food, he had a couple of burritos, that's all he had. Day two went by, day three went by. He was running out of water. Now the story is incredible, by the way, in the book you'll read, he actually realized he was going to be dehydrating because during the day the sun would beat down at him. At night it was freezing cold in there. By the way, through this entire ordeal, I believe he lost like 40 pounds over five days. He was just dehydrating. Read his book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Incredible. And he says uh, by day five, by this time, he, was, he, had, he had saved his urine. And that's what he was drinking now. Okay? Desperate to stay alive. He realized nothing was going to get him out of this. He realized that his arm was already dead. He happened to touch it accidentally. And when he touched that finger, it and all the whatever putrefaction had just burst out. He knew his knife was too blunt. He couldn't. His knife couldn't cut his arm off. He was an engineering major. He, and he knew enough about the bones. He realized he had only one choice. To break his arm. To snap the bones. He, he got a tourniquet together, day five. He was already, he knew nobody was coming for him by this time. Day five had come along, he was going to die. He said, it's now or never. He snapped bone number one and snapped bone number two, took the knife and with that blunt knife began to cut all the way around and left the nerve till the end. He said, and when he snapped the nerve, he said, that's the most excruciating pain he ever had. Then he took the tourniquet that he'd used from his, uh, his bicycle pants. He'd made a tourniquet. He tied it together. He went to the edge of the canyon. You couldn't go back up. And then he had to rappel down a 60-foot uh, cliff face with one arm. And then walked about six miles before he was met by three or so hikers from Holland. And all they had was Oreo cookies. <laughs> now, why am I telling you the story? The man knew that unless he cut his arm off, he was going to be dead. Let's go to the Bible. What does Jesus say? Incredible story. And as I told you, my wife bought the book for me. I think I know why. <laughs> I love adventure, but whoa. <laughs> my wife loves me. Okay. So let's go to the Bible. Uh, and then we'll get to uh, uh, Philippians at the end here. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Back to the Sermon on the Mount. The story of Aaron Ralston, powerful story. I've, I've best re recaptured what I read in the entire book that he wrote, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Uh, by the way, the book is, he's a secular guy, 
so, sorry about it, but so every now and then, every 20 pages, there's a word that you don't want to read. That anyway, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Secular writers write that way. They think for some reason that's cool. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Verse 29. We've looked at verse 28 already. Verse 29. Matthew 5, verse 29. If your right eye, okay, causes you to sin, do what? Pluck it out. In other words, what you're watching. We're talking about television. We're talking about books, the media. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you um, than for one of your members to perish. Uh, for one of your members to perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Verse 30. Aaron Ralston's story, in literal terms here, if your right hand causes you to sin. In his story, he said, if I didn't do that, I would be dead. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What am I saying, folks? When it comes to the media, whether it be books, Movies, videos, television, internet, cell phone, whatever you can download on there, anything. Be careful. Follow the example of Aaron Ralston, the words of Jesus. If these things are causing you to sin, do what? Cut it off. Go to one more verse. Let's go to Philippians to end up with a positive note. And by the way, Aaron Ralston has an incredible sense of humor. Because afterwards, well, after he was healed, by the way, Philippians chapter 4, after he was healed, he went back and he ran a race that he had run before his arm was cut off. And he did better. And he says, you know what, I'm thinking of getting my other arm cut off because I'm running faster now. <laughs> anyway, he's got a good sense of humor about the whole issue. But uh, he is back physically healthy and strong with one arm now. But he, he's alive because he made the right choice. Are you listening to me spiritually? Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you want to be alive spiritually, cut off the arm, pluck out the eye spiritually that is causing you to sin. Philippians chapter 4 Finally, brethren, verse 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I think many of you knew I was going to end up with this verse, right? <laughs> Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble. By the way, I've heard people say, oh, but that's a true story. That's the true life of those two gays. We need to watch the movie of what they did. At home. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let's read all of the qualifiers, all right? I've heard people taking two as to cover anything. No, no. Whatever is true, whatever is what? Noble. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatever things are lovely. Whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, what does it say? Think or meditate on these things. I have an appeal to make to you today. We raised our hand at the beginning. For all of us, we've wasted time. Those of you who raised your hands, some of you who joined us since then. I said today that I'm really stepping on my toes quite a bit here. Because as I said, I've, we've made a decision. We're going to quit wasting God's time. We're going to be careful, more careful, what we put in our minds. I'm trying to get back to my 1970s mode when I was productive. Somebody asked me yesterday about a book. When are you going to write it? I said, I have 12 books I'm busy with. I'm in the process with a, what, a dozen books? I don't have the time. Uh, books that people keep urging me. We need that material. You need it to be written. I don't have the time, okay? We don't have the time to waste. So I'm going to make an appeal, simple appeal. How many of you want to ask me to pray for you by God's grace? 
to guard the avenues of the soul so that we can use God's time, our bodies, the money that God has given us, everything God has placed in our care for His glory to warn a dying world. How many want me to pray that God will bless us to mind the avenues of the soul? Keep your hands up. I want to pray for you. Lord, I'm, I'm raising both my hands, Father. Forgive us where we have failed for wasting time, for putting in our minds things that are not our building. As the old saying goes, garbage in, garbage out. Forgive us, Lord, for that. Today, we're raising our hands, asking you, Lord, to help us to guard the avenues of the soul so that we can be filled with the Spirit, the right Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to go and tell others about Jesus. So we can use the time you've given us, that we can redeem the time to warn a dying world of an imminent returning Savior, Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.